Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast. Today, in a rare joint session here in New York City, SI's Brian Strauss joins me to talk about his vacation to Bolivia, including visiting a Copa Libertadores game, our big-picture thoughts on the U.S. soccer presidential election, and Jeff Cameron's opinions on the Federation in the Players' Tribune. Onward! As promised, we've got Brian Strauss back after two weeks of well-deserved vacation. Brian, we are here together, actually, today for once in the podcast studio in New York at the Sports Illustrated office. I've got a big photo of Clint Dempsey over my shoulder, uh, which is right across from a big photo of LeBron James, which I think is highly appropriate. Um, You're missing some really important elements to our studio experience right now. There are five pieces of pizza in here, or maybe four. Have you eaten one already? I had one already. Okay, so four. Um, I have a large bowl of M&Ms and pretzels. It was my third attempt. Um, I spilled the first two <laughs> in the company kitchen. <laughs> so if you uh, if you walk over there later, you can slip on some M&Ms like ball bearings. And uh, my laptop, that's not connected to Wi-Fi. And it's good to see you, man. Good to see you, too. I'm glad we're here doing this again. Uh, I want to talk briefly about your vacation. The great Mike Tyson once said... Guess I'm going to fade into Bolivian, and uh, you faded into Bolivian. You're you just, went to you went to Bolivia. You're under. just bringing that up because of my face tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> so how was Bolivia, man? And, and from what you told me before, briefly, you got to see a Libertadores game there. Yeah. I mean, the idea was to fade away. Uh, it was nice to um, not tell anyone. I mean, you knew, right? But very few people knew, and it was good to just disappear. Um I did leave you kind of hanging during the uh, the election. Um, we made it. But you, uh, yeah, no, you did great. You didn't need me at all. Well, so when I got back, someone said like, uh, oh, so you missed the election. And it was like channeling office space. You know, well, I wouldn't say I missed it. Um, but there's never a time, right? There's never a time to go away. There's always something going on. And, um, you know, I hadn't had a break in two and a half years. So uh, Bolivia seemed to me to be a place very unlike... Uh, the current state of uh, of of Brian being, uh, it's the end of the world, you know. The, the the Andes foothills and the salt flats and you know La Paz and hanging out at fifteen thousand feet and like Ucunas and chinchillas and you know tasty street food and uh, yeah, it was good. Yeah, and I got to a Libertadores game. I saw um, a qualifier uh, between Wilsterman and Petrolero, two Bolivian teams drawn together. I think Wilsterman was a they may have been a quarter finalist. They may have been a surprise hmm. quarter finalist last season. Maybe they went out to River. Um, but uh, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine. I was telling him about the game, and he said, "Yeah, so this was like like Copa Lib greatest hits, wasn't it?" And it totally was. Like it was complete mayhem. Um, there were no, there's <laughs> there were no, there was no ushers. There was no security. Um, it was every man for himself. Uh, you know, um, tactically just complete mayhem um you know Wilstermann goes up 2-0 doesn't feel like defending Petrolera comes back and ties it at two firecracker comes out of the stands you know lands 30 feet from the goalkeeper goalkeeper goes down screaming clutching his face nice. you know referee gives seven minutes of stoppage time awarding the the fans who threw the firecracker um scarves outside and tents for uh I think 30 Bolivianos which is the equivalent of around four dollars wow and I was thinking, like, I would have paid whatever this woman had asked me to pay, right? I mean, she had 
she had, you know, a month's wage kind of right at her fingertips. She could have asked me for a thousand. I would have paid it. And she just asked me for $4. Um, so it was a great experience. It was, it was, it was uh, very sort of low key, didn't make the headlines, but still sort of had the passion and the color and the nonsense and all the stuff we love about the Libertadores. So it was cool. Is Libertadores insanity, Conmebol insanity different from CONCACAF insanity in a game? That's a good question. Um, I've never been to a CCL game outside of the U.S. I mean, I've been to qualifiers right. outside of the U.S. as a journalist. Um, you know, I mean, I I bought I bought the most expensive ticket, figuring I didn't want to sit with the hinchadas, and I, you know, I don't know, the most expensive ticket was like thirteen dollars, right? right? So why not why not you know go luxury? Um, you know, and there was nobody checking to see if you were in the right seat. I actually wound up in the press box accidentally because huh. I didn't know how else to go. And nobody naturally nobody, gravitated. Nobody to the stopped press box. me. You know, not a single person asked me if I was supposed to be there. Um, so I, yeah, it's, 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 uh, it's all kind of, I should say that this, this, the game was being held at a neutral site where I was in Sucre, uh, Bolivia because Wilsterman stadium was under construction or renovation or something. So, um, that added to just sort of the lack of any general oversight or order or anything. And you just, you soaked it in. You enjoyed it. It was great. This is where I come in and do my usual recommendation to everyone out there to watch more Copa Libertadores. It's on in the U.S., on Fox Deportes, on, I think, some other places, too. Um, Libertadores is great. Uh, it's it's a really fun tournament, high level, crazy things tend yeah. to happen. Um, and, you know, I would love for someday for North American teams, at least like MLS teams, to get in there. But it's going to be a while yet. I would think my first Libertadores game I ever went to was in 1995 in a very cold Estadio Monumental in Buenos Aires between River Plate and Nacional of Colombia. And I got That's to a big see game. it was Those a big, big game. Clubs, yeah. it, it went to like 16. There rounds were like there were penalties. like 5000 people at the game I was at. I mean, it was it was small time. That's but a big game. I got to see Rene Higuita in the flesh for Nacional doing scorpion kicks in the pregame <laughs> in the goal. Did he try to save a penalty that way too? He did Didn't not try he? and okay. save a penalty that way in the game. Didn't try any scorpion kicks for saves during the game. There's great YouTube clips if you want to Google Rene Higuita scorpion kick. He did one in a game once uh, against England, I think in Wembley, uh, where the English uh, commentator basically said, My word! Um, I love Rene Higuita, uh, even if he um, was kind of in jail for a while <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the, fun, the fun thing about the tournament is that it's not you know and, and we're, we're in the middle of the you know the, the round of 16 has started in the champions league but in the libertadores a club like wilsterman can make a quarterfinal run you know and and, and different you know different teams win it all the time and and you know gremio won it this year uh i think nacional won it the year before so it really you know it, it it's you know maybe three or four countries kind of hold a monopoly on the title um, but it's really much more even and much more unpredictable. And even watch again, watching this qualifier, you know, I think Wilsterman's reward for winning was Vasco da Gama. Um, you know, so their tournament's probably going to be over. But I think they, they got beaten pretty badly in the first leg. But it was just fun watching a team up two goals on aggregate in the second leg of a qualifier just not give a damn, you know, yeah. and just keep attacking. And that's what their fans wanted. And they were, you know, they had no interest in possession, in 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 cover, in in sort of you know, playing a bit lower and absorbing a little bit more pressure and it cost them the lead. I mean, it cost them two goals. Um, and it was just spectacular fun, you know, like for a neutral who's having sort of a cultural soccer experience. It was great. Well, welcome back. It's great Thank to you. have you back. Uh, you get to go to the Bolivian salt flats. You got to do some cool things. I've, I've always wanted to go there. Um, S sunblock, man. 
Yeah. No matter how much sunblock you think you need. Right. Much, much more than that. It's it's going to be a while for me. Well, I'm glad yeah. you have faded back into or from Bolivian uh, to get back here to New York. You mentioned the election, U.S. soccer election. Carlos Cordero won it. It's a little over a week old now, but we haven't had a real opportunity to discuss sort of my takeaways from what I saw in Orlando and what I covered over yeah, the last while couple Yeah, I was months. eating street meat, you were down in the lion's den, so. Um, Orlando is the home of the lions, by the you way. You like that? That was a really you, you kind of You're kind of explaining my thing, but yeah. yeah. But I'm glad you noticed at the same um, time. Good job. Thank you. Um, and are you surprised? I mean, you covered, actually, you wrote the first two stories on Carlos Cordero that we did during this campaign. Mm-hmm. Are you surprised that he won this thing? I guess not. I mean, I wasn't, again, I was away for the the... the, the the last week of sort of build up and hysteria. Um, and, and I always sort of thought that Cordero's Cordero's um, insider without being the handpicked choice of Gulati and MLS would either carry him to victory, which I think it did, um, or it would sort of be the worst case scenario where, where, you know, he, he, he was an insider, so lost the change vote, but then also lost the insider vote because those people wanted Kathy Carter. So I figured it would either be the best of both worlds or the worst of both worlds for him. And it worked out to be the best of both worlds. Well, the moment for me of the entire weekend was um, early on, on Saturday, not long before the first ballot took place in the election, when uh, a couple little birdies told me that the Athletes Council had decided to go all in and give all of their 20% of their, the overall vote to Carlos Cordero. And I had to, I heard it from one person and then I needed to confirm it because that's the kind of thing that uh, basically this, you know, this totally swung the election. Uh, and the buzz Cordero's had been, favorite. forgive me, but had the buzz been that maybe they were leaning toward Kyle or, or was that maybe what more I had than underst- a week ahead of time and, yeah, and I mean, things kind of changed once I left. I and- made a lot of calls in the week leading up to it uh, to try and get the best sense possible of what the Athletes Council was thinking uh, or what was likely to happen. And basically it had been told, look, it's going to come down to Friday, the day before the election, when we're all in the room together. We're going to be able to talk for hours. We're going to be able to figure things out. Uh, certainly they had done a lot of advance work in speaking to candidates and um, they had the written surveys that all the candidates had submitted. Those were uh, put out publicly. So they had a lot of information ahead of it. And they had certainly talked amongst themselves to some degree, but not in the same room together. And so coming into that Friday meeting, my understanding was they had three candidates they were considering at that point. That was Kathy Carter, Carlos Cordero, and Kyle Martino. So are you hanging outside with like a glass to the door? Like like no. like old school, like listening to your parents talk about your – no? Okay. Mm, talk about my what? I don't know. Do your parents like – that's how I grew up. Like Brian's a problem. We need to have a conversation about what we're going to do and we're going to close this. You did this didn't happen in your house? Uh, moving on. Oh, okay. Um, so no glasses, uh, but was kind of – I hung out a little bit. I lurked outside mm-hmm. the meeting room to some extent. Um, they met from 1 to 4 p.m., actually 4.30 or so on that Friday, the day before the election. Uh, a few people came out afterward, and it was clear that they had not reached a consensus. That's what they were saying. We're going to have a meeting, another meeting that night, and it becoming a dinner meeting. Then I was going to ask if it was catered. Uh, no, apparently they were out somewhere in Orlando. Okay. They also did a, a, 
sort of a community event in between them for some, with some kids uh, in, in the U.S. Soccer Foundation at a soccer field in uh, Orlando, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, anyway, they come back, and so I'm having dinner that night uh, with Fox people, uh, Alexi Lawless, um, and, and our group, um, and our producers there, and we see the athletes council members come back in. This is probably around... 8 30 9 o'clock and they were going into another long meeting so they really didn't have a decision until Stuart holden would end up saying close to midnight that night so uh carlos cordero woke up on saturday morning election day not knowing that he had the athletes council vote if it had gone to kathy carter she would have won on the first ballot right if it had gone to kyle martino that would have changed things up quite a bit um but it goes to carlos cordero who has tremendous momentum coming out of that first ballot, even though he did not have a majority, he actually gains votes on the second ballot. Kathy Carter loses votes. En- enough enough to, to convince MLS that and their block that Kathy Carter wasn't going to win the election. Right? Correct. She's kind of hit a, hit a ceiling. Yeah. So Garber and MLS and all the people that they control switch over. Cordero ends up getting in the 60s for uh, the third ballot and wins. Um you know, a couple of things I would say here is for anyone out there, and there was plenty of response from uh, the public in social media that this was a horrible thing, that this is not change. Keep this in mind. The preferred candidate of the two most powerful people in U.S. soccer, Sunil Gulati and Don Garber, did not win this election. The preferred candidate of the money, the vast majority of the money out there, MLS owners, did not win this election. And so when you look at it in those terms... Um, I would almost say I, I I think it was a slight surprise that Cordero ended up winning. Most people uh, by Friday night, Saturday morning, thought Kathy Carter was going to win this thing. He certainly did. I mean, he did do he did do interviews with each of us, right? Um, print with me, and then he did your podcast toward the end. Um, he did a story with the Miami Herald, I think. Right, he's from down there. He had one or two other hits, but but point being that by and large, he was one of the quieter candidates publicly because yeah. he realized he didn't need exactly and, and he was support. also the only candidate who and, and this isn't pro or con it's just a fact he's also the only other candidate that had been through this before he That's had huge. Been, he had been through a u.s soccer election so a contested he, one yes so he had met these people he'd sat down with these people already he had phone numbers and emails he, he you know th- th- this was this was a path he had walked down before um and he handled himself look i mean he clearly in hindsight handled himself well he didn't get caught up in um in too much of the public debate and and that you know the Twitter shitstorm and he kind of just did his thing behind the scenes which is where the election was decided with the voters with people like the athletes council. You always ruin our clean lyrics thing on the podcast on on iTunes. Do we have a clean lyrics thing? We still do, but I think you know they let us get away with it with your like once or, or twice every podcast. That makes it more special. Okay. All right. Um, I I totally agree with all of what you're saying. Um, you know, I look at it as I learned a few things about. You know, I certainly don't want to run for U.S. soccer president now. Maybe when I'm in my 60s or something. But if I were to do that, still have your campaigns, campaign FIFA campaign buttons in a closet somewhere. Oh yeah. Um, (laughs) But if I were to do it and actually wanted to win, I I learned a lot from this campaign, and I think it's really important to 
to come from, to some degree, inside the Federation, to put in some time and build relationships right. that can help you get votes. Because you look at Carlos Cordero, he was vice president first before he became president. Sunil Gulati was vice president first before he became president. So anyone who's wanting to run for vice president, which is now vacant, either later this year or a year from now, think about and, that. And, and he could make a case, and people can agree or disagree, but he could at least make a case that, I mean, because he was an independent director, that he didn't have the same kind of... Insiderness. You know, he, he, he wasn't as in bed with certain interests as other candidates may have been, either the change candidates or Kathy Carter. So, again, you know, whether or not a given listener, a given reader, a given fan agrees with that or not, enough voters felt, obviously, that he had demonstrated enough of an independent streak while... Uh, while being inside, while knowing people at U.S. Soccer, while working, he's on the CONCACAF Council, I think, yeah. right? Um, we're trying to get the World Cup in 2026. That's not a small thing. So having someone who's already kind of familiar with that, the apparatus at FIFA and that kind of thing. So he obviously balanced those things really well. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess I I was a little surprised. I think, I, yeah, I was still in Sucre following along. I didn't know who won the Super Bowl for two days, by okay. the way. Like that's kind of... Like there are parts of Bolivia where you just don't know who wins the Super Bowl for two days. And that was really nice. weird. I like that. But it was weird. Um, and then I was wondering, can I go the whole time? Like can I just – can I come home and not know who won the Super Bowl? But like one of my very best friends is a, is a diehard, huge, you know, green blood running through his veins Eagles fan. So um, so uh, I, I won't curse again. But there were a lot of like F yeah tweets on my phone once I finally nice. had, had uh, service. So hi, John. Um but uh, I, I guess I was slightly surprised Carlos won, but but certainly not as surprised as I would have been, uh, you know, I had Hope Solo or Michael Winograd won. So I, I, he's like second know, tier surprise. None of the challengers got close. I mean, it was not even. Well, they close. split the they kind of split the challenger vote, right? I mean, the the change vote, whatever they wanted to. Which was to not very. It. When you added up all of those six candidates, it was nowhere close to 50 percent like right. they it, they were not in any danger of challenging even if they had all picked one of them to represent and they tried the right vote. i mean wasn't there weren't there conversations of some sort it where got they, a little yeah. ridiculous there that um thursday night the first night i was there the first night most people Steve were there Gans had had a had a spread i was told uh he did okay. uh and that's actually where a lot of this stuff happened like so basically what happened was the six change candidates got together um and so they were like, we're going to sort of put together this memorandum of unity to put out there saying that we think we're change candidates. If you want change, vote for us. Um, it ended up splitting apart in, in a kind of ugly way. Uh, Winograd uh, didn't want to be seen as a negative campaigner, wouldn't sign it. Um, and everyone was really unhappy with the Steve Gans campaign and his people for allowing a photo to be leaked of, of like the draft or of something. Of the draft yeah. that the six had supposedly agreed to when they hadn't agreed to it. And then- It's awkward. Yeah. So uh, they, they couldn't even agree on on that in the end. Um, and, you know, I, I look at, at kind of what happened here and I, I talked to Cordero after the, uh, the election took place once he had won and- you know, he really didn't do much in the way of interviews publicly for weeks and weeks. Right. And, you know, what he was doing during that time, he was traveling to Arkansas and Kentucky and meeting up with state associations, mostly youth associations, but some adult associations, too, and and doing what he needed to do to win the election. 
did you did you get a sense while you were down there that any of the any of the platforms or the concerns or the stump speeches or the ideas or any of that stuff that came from any of those six change candidates might carry some weight going forward might I hope ha- so. might might breathe a little bit of life into the conversation might be even something that Cordero and the board because he's he swore to both of us on the record he's going to empower the board to a right. far more significant extent than Sunil did so that's something we should all be watching for um but uh you know where was did this campaign breathe some life into some ideas that you think might carry forward even though none of those candidates were elected I certainly hope so because you know I I do think all of the candidates actually had some decent ideas that they brought to the table that should be considered. I look at Kyle Martino's progress plan that he put together. There's a lot of good ideas in there, and I don't think those should go to waste. Uh, A good idea is a good idea no matter who it comes from. And I think too many people worry too much about who's providing an idea as opposed to the actual content of the idea. From from getting to know Carlos Cordero – uh, I think he's a guy who should be – he's a listener and he is about inclusion and likes uh, ideas and engaging with them. And so I think that's a huge part of of his challenge going forward here is to is to do some things that I think he does need to win over the public because a lot of the public didn't want him to win. You know, He was the last place vote getter in the American Outlaws poll, which had over 900 votes, I think. Last place. And so that's the American Outlaws, the top supporters group of U.S. soccer, which you would think is not totally uninformed. Right. So, which is interesting to me because because in terms of U.S. national team fans, um, people that are upset over the qualifying debacle and the the um, you know the uh, dumpster fire lit by Klinsman and Arena, um, Cordero's promise to appoint um, not only GM slash technical directors. Uh, for the national team programs, but to uh, separate them, to have a technical director for the women's side and a technical director for the men's side. You would think that would have been something that would have garnered support from U.S. fans, but I don't know what they read and write and what they... uh, Well, and that wasn't just Cordero's pitch. That that was already formally approved, those positions, by the board of directors of U.S. soccer weeks ago. And so now the first big decision of the Cordero era... Is who to hire. Is who to hire as, first off, a men's general manager, then a women's general, general manager. There's more demand on the men's side just because the coaching position is open. And I'm very curious. There hasn't been a lot of detail coming out about the job description. I mean, are you going to have a technical director and a general manager? Right. Are you going to have... And who is that? And there there were some issues. I, you know, you know, does that person want to report to the CEO? It will report to the CEO. Right. And so that might be an issue for some people. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so how much control will that person have? Is that a really going to be providing change or is it just the attempt to show, oh, we're changing? Well, Cordero, I think Cordero, I think when I spoke to him again, it seems like a million years ago, but I think when he spoke, when I spoke to him, he said that he wanted the technical director, the GM or whomever to, to certainly outlast the coach, the coach, yeah. that this was going to be a more permanent position. And it's interesting when you start to think about candidates, not a ton of people spring to mind. I think we could all probably come up with the same three or four names. Uh, we're going to wrap it up here on a fairly quick podcast. We have a big World Cup meeting here. We have here. a World Cup meeting and my pizza. I mean, I've sat on a bus for five hours this morning, and we went and got this pizza, and now it's just kind of sitting here fermenting, and I, I need to put it in my face. So we'll wrap up. We wanted to talk about Jeff Cameron's Players' Tribune piece 
which you've read when you were uh, fading into Bolivian and uh, which you had some thoughts about. I do too. What was he basically saying and what did you think about it? Well, I was glad first. I was glad that I don't have it. I don't have a ton profound to say on it. I was glad that he ripped. I, this is going to seem petty in comparison to some of the big picture points he was making. But I felt like sometimes I was alone and sort of bashing arena for his sort of empty midfield against Trinidad, you know, the, the, the only road qualifier in God knows how long that the U.S. didn't play with at least two center midfielders. Um, and I felt like I was, I don't know, at times I was the only one angry about this. So the fact that he devoted a few graphs to it uh, was, uh, was satisfying. Uh, that bothered him as well. But overall, um, you know, Jeff Cameron said a lot of smart things, said a lot of things in there that a lot of us believe or feel or agree with or sympathize with. But at the same time, I mean, this is a guy who for years has been known as a malcontent in the national team, someone who who has had difficulty get al- getting along, not with just with Bruce Arena, but with Jurgen Klinsmann. He and Klinsmann were, I mean, the, the, he comes he comes across as a Klinsmann defender, but sort of the rumor bouncing around has been that Klinsmann almost sent him home from Brazil. So, um, you know, is it on Arena for bringing a player who was known to sort of be abrasive is it on Arena for bringing him to those last two qualifiers when Arena had no intention of putting him on the field? Yeah, that's a huge mistake by Arena, especially when Arena gets in front of all of us in Philadelphia and talks about the quote-unquote bad eggs uh, in the national team camp who were sort of ruining chemistry and things like that, obviously referring to Cameron. Um, so it's on Arena for bringing a player who he knew was unhappy and not playing him and, and sort of adding that element to things. But it's also interesting to hear Cameron sort of see Cameron write about you know, uh, chemistry and intangibles and things like that when he has been the source of some frustration with the national team under multiple coaches. Yeah, I mean, I will always say this, is that I think Jeff Cameron should be starting in the central defense as one of the first people you write into the lineup uh, if you're the U.S. And I uh, I am still amazed that Omar Gonzalez, an arena guy, uh, was there instead uh, over those last few games. Uh, Cameron had had that horrendous giveaway against Costa Rica. Yeah, one I mean, bad game. Get guy right, but I mean, but but if we're, I I agree with you. I think Cameron's a better player. But if we're going to talk about accountability, if we're going to talk about the highest standards, if we're going to talk about consequences, then perhaps there should be consequences for a play like that. I, it's it's nuanced. It's difficult. I I'm 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 still adjusting to the altitude, but I, it was an interesting it was an interesting read. I just feel like going back to Klinsman, Cameron has been used too often in positions that weren't his best position, which is central defense, that too often he hasn't been in that position, uh, whether it's due to the, the position switching or whether it's due to a coach starting Omar Gonzalez instead. Um, you know, from a media perspective, Jeff Cameron's a bit difficult at times, as, as we well know. This is a guy who, even after wins, has been known to not go through the mix zone and actually try and hide behind the boards of the mix zone on his way to the the team bus. Um, I've always respected his uh, ability to speak his mind in terms of politics, even if I don't always agree with it. Uh, I don't think he's happy with Sports Illustrated about the response he got to his response to the travel ban last year, but he blamed us for it when it was actually his words that got the negative response, and he should have known that. Um, but in terms of pure playing, Jeff Cameron's a terrific player, and I think it's tremendously unfortunate that he hasn't had a, a bigger influence on the national team in recent years to reflect but you've that. heard, But you've heard the same stuff about chemistry that I have. 
and his that he that he can be difficult to some extent yeah, yeah. i mean like that's certainly uh, some of the the what you hear from inside us soccer especially mm-hmm. recently now that cameron has gone public um in terms of what he said about the the people who run us soccer creating uh friction between the european based players and and the domestic base players. Here's a guy who was unhappy he wasn't playing, basically. Right. And, and so I think there's a lot. I know Mark Gonzalez is not an M. I mean, he was, I guess. He was an arena player, but he's obviously playing for Pachuca now. So, um, yeah, it was, it was thought-provoking. It was interesting. Um, you know, Arena came out and said himself that he thought he brought too many European-based players back and that he wished he'd stuck with his Gold Cup team, I guess, plus Pulisic. Um, that was fascinating to me. Um, you know, you, you continue to hear, you know, little bits and pieces of, of sort of schisms inside the team. Um, so, you know, it's down to man management. It's on Bruce to make Cameron feel welcome and comfortable. And it's on Cameron to do his best to fit in. And it doesn't sound like neither of them did much. Curious to see if Jeff Cameron plays for the U.S. again. I think he is at an age where he could or he might not. Um, stay tuned. Good to be back doing this again, Brian. Welcome back. Let's Thank do you. it again next week. Take a bite of pizza right now. Thanks for listening to the Planet of Football podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do. And check out the 30-minute Planet Football video show hosted by me and Luis Miguel Echegaray on SITV. That's available for free now on SI.com. Recent guests include Sebastian Salazar, Kevin Egan, Keith Pierce, and by Shali Bardwaj. See you next time. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network? The number one daily sports podcast network. Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.